Hello, and welcome to Exit the Stage Door. We're back! We're back. I am Aaron Teachman, your host, and I could not be more stoked about uh, just taking the show out of the mothballs and getting back out there and talking to the amazing people who make and or enable theater in uh well, in the Washington, D.C. area and beyond, and just uh, finding things that are interesting and sharing them with you, and people who are interesting and sharing them with you, uh, my lovely audience, and uh, I've missed it. I've missed this so much, and I'm so glad that my schedule worked out and everything has aligned so that we can take this journey together again, my friends. It is the 2018-2019 theatrical season, and... So, the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to talk about all of the plays that are going to grace many of the stages that are <laughs> all over the Washington, D.C. metro area. Um, we try to be inclusive. We try to, we try to cover a lot of ground. Um, and by we, I mean Associate Literary Director at Studio Theater, Lauren Halverson, and Freelance Dramaturg and Director, Linda Lombardi. Um, and by we, I really mean them. Uh, they do the vast majority of the talking because they are the experts, and it is a delightful conversation. They are so wonderful and incisive and incredible, and it's an absolute pleasure to bring you this conversation so that we can all get excited together for the kinds of things that are going to happen in terms of the plays on on our stages in the 2018-2019 season, which feels insanely futuristic to even talk about. And, uh, and in fact, Lauren loves to talk about the 2019-2020 season. So the future is happening so fast. And uh, I don't want you to feel like we're going to miss out on the musicals. That's an upcoming episode. I can't wait to share with you who we're going to talk to about that. Uh, a few quick details um, before we get into the episode, because you shouldn't listen to me talking any more than is absolutely necessary. There is a Google Doc. That is a link in the show notes at both the new home of Exit the State Drawer, Mixed Media, mxdmedia.co, and of course the old home at DCP Creative at llc.com you can find the google sheet at both of those places and what i want you to do what i encourage you to do is to take a look at that spreadsheet that i put together uh based on every theater that i knew that was working in theater in in dc and at least center stage in baltimore uh and and i put together a list of their seasons uh and the who who wrote the show and who's directing the show and what I want you to do is, I want you to take a look at that sheet, and I want you to change it. I want you to include the theaters that I should be listening to or thinking about, and I wasn't. I want you to uh, tell me who the designers are that you're excited about. I want you to give me dates. I want to give I change the spreadsheet. Do whatever you want to the spreadsheet. The point is, the idea is here. This is an interactive setup. We're, we're doing something so that you want to, uh, you, the listener, are a part of it. I don't have the only viewpoint that matters here. In fact, my whole goal here is to go out and find out other people's viewpoints who are way smarter than I am and who are way more informed about all of these things and, and to let them talk and to let them uh, share with us all of the amazing things that they know. And uh, yeah, so we'll check in at the end of the episode again uh, with a little bit of a postscript. It'll be great. In the meantime, please enjoy Lauren Halverson and Linda Lombardi. We are here talking about the season in big air quotes, <laughs> um, 
and lots of asterisks because it's this is the inaugural version of this, and I, eventually I'd like to build on the ideas that we have mm-hmm. that start here. So this is a really sense of great discovery, and that's why I am super excited to have. Uh, Lauren Halverson, I'm the Associate Literary Director at Studio Theatre. Linda Lombardi, I'm a freelance director and dramaturg. To talk about all of the many plays and musicals, maybe you can discuss the musicals better than I can, because musicals are not my specialty. Maybe I'll have to find that person with you that are about to happen. So we started with, well, let's, let's start with your specific involvement in sure. the season, and then we'll extrapolate, we'll build outwards. Sure. Um, so my specific involvement <laughs> is in the eighteen nineteen season at Studio Theater, um, of which, in the context of my job, I'm part of the group of people on the artistic staff that reads and solicits and evaluates and is part of the selection process for that season. Um, we read about 600 plays to settle on the nine. Um, And we announced actually a partial season. Um, We're still waiting for our two other shows, our final main series show and um, our summer performance series, which we're launching next year and is still sort of taking shape. But um, yeah, I mean, what's helpful to talk about? I I can sort of like, I feel like going through this season play by play is kind of a death march. I definitely want to do that. I think your instincts are on, we're on the same page there. But I think like two of the things that I'm particularly excited about is, um, so it's our 40th anniversary season, um, which is very exciting. And I think that when we sat down to talk about like, oh, what do we want to do? We were just like, oh, well, why don't we just do what studio does best? (laughs) Um, and I think that's this season like really reflects that. Um, I'm really excited about the two new plays we're doing. Uh, we're doing Queen of Basil by Mm -hmm. Hilary Bettis and PYG, or The Miseducation of Dorian Bell by Terence Arvell Chisholm. Um, They're both uh, sort of like spins on modern classics. Uh, Queen of Basil is a take on Miss Julie, and PYG is a take on Pygmalion, and also reality TV, and a bunch of other things. Um, You know, I think they're two playwrights that I've been reading for a long time, and it's so gratifying when you finally get to like program artists whose work you've been following for years. Um, I think that... Hillary is one of those writers who it's just is like so fiercely theatrical um and I never know and like you know I never know when she's in her writing like she's just gonna like delve into a world with like a great specificity but also like real imagination um and I think that Terrence is one of the most hilarious and incisive writers writing about race Mm -hmm. in America today um and he's also going to be directing for the first oh, time, okay. which I'm really, which I'm also really excited about to work with a writer director, which I've never done before. Um, and then I don't know. For me, it's also fun because I get to work with a bunch of people that I like to work with. <laughs> you know, um, I'm dramaturging as well. I'm dramaturging. I'm Sarah Burgess's Kings with Marty Lyons, who directed The Wolves. Tina's back in the. Yeah, I know. I'm very excited about that. Um, and then uh, Josh Harmon's Admissions. Mm-hmm which is directed mm-hmm. by Mike Donahue, which is done, who has directed both of the Rachel Bond's plays at studio. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> what else can I say about studio? What else can I say about studio season? Um, what would you say? You yeah. said uh, for your 40th season, you wanted to do what studio does best. What would you say? That oh yeah, is? that's a good idea. Actually defining exactly what that is. That, that's a, that's a great question, Linda. <laughs> um, okay. I don't know. I think that The way that I always talk about it when I'm talking to agents is I say that, like, studio does plays that feel 
relevant and urgent, but we're examining the world on a very human scale. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that we're going to do work that feels more character driven than necessarily like issue driven. Um, And, you know, I think one of the things that's interesting in like looking at the DC season as a whole, um, when compared with this previous season, because I think with this previous season, you had a lot of people who were responding with, sorry, with the like 17 to 18 season, I think you had a lot of theaters that were responding very explicitly to the election. Mm-hmm. Um, but in ways that they were programming because there weren't any, because theater's not, you know, the most rapid response form. <laughs> so there weren't specifically plays written about it yet. So it was a lot of people taking like modern classics and, you know, right. it's like why you sell like a million productions of Enemy of the people around the country. Um, and, you know, the arsonists at Woolly. And like people yeah. found like their own sort of like niche way to respond to what was happening in the country. Now, I think you're seeing, and this is just interesting in sort of my dramaturgical prep, that like a lot of the shows that I've been doing are like, they take on different resonance now. It's like writers started writing them before the election, but now they, mm-hmm. they like the meaning and the understanding of them has shaped. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it's also interesting like reading people's copy. It feels less like in the age of Trump. You know, and I think it's like figuring out what the next stage of that conversation is and like what theater's engagement is with the current moment. Yeah, it's almost like we've all, not for better or worse, settled into it. Yeah. And figured out that this is this state of the world right now and how do we respond to it? Yeah. So we're not quite so reactionary of just like, I must put up a play that says everything I feel. Yeah. And you're like, but you don't totally. have to say everything you feel. No, 100%. And, and then I think it's going to be interesting for 1920 because, I mean, I've already started this year, like, reading my big wave of, like, white women Trump who voted for Trump plays, oh, okay. you know? So I think that you're actually wow. going to start seeing them, like, being programmed. So, like, I just think 1920 is going to have interesting implications. And then also, like, I don't know, people programming around the midterms, that's certainly something that we thought yeah. about. You know, I'm doing Sarah Burgess's Kings as a play that, like, is in part about an election cycle and in part about like the relationship between lawmakers and lobbyists, and it's not a fairy tale about Washington at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not exactly an idealistic take, um, and it goes into rehearsals the week after the midterms. And oh I kept thinking gosh. in my writing about it, I was like, "This is gonna be like that's gonna shape the way that this play is, rec- right. is received." Yeah. Um, and I can't really think about that until it actually happens. Do you see in the amount of plays that cross your desk? Do you see any optimism upticking? Or are we all still so pessimist and dire? I mean, I feel like it's interesting. It's interesting in terms of optimism, but I think that it's like in terms of what stories do people think have value to be told mm-hmm. right now. I'm seeing like an influx, and maybe this is also partially because I've tried to be really mindful about how we solicit plays at studio and the stories that we're searching for. Is that I've seen like an increase, and I think that you saw this not just in D.C., but also just, like, nationally as a whole in, like, stories that take the experiences of young women seriously, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly with teenage girls. Uh, I'm thinking, like, The Wolves and Schoolgirls and um, by Jocelyn Bio, um, which was announced at Roundhouse and is now being postponed to a Mm -hmm. later season because it's coming back to New York. Um, Athena, uh, Dance Nation, you know, all of these plays that are happening around the country, and I think that I'm, I, I don't know. I think that people are having feel, feeling a need to make your theater reflect the world that you live in and also the world that you want to see. Mm-hmm. I think that that's how people are responding to it. Or I think that that's what I'm starting to see in the plays that I, that I get. 
I find that hopeful. Me too. Because um, I think there is, I think there's a certain amount of resistance to theater as escapism. Yeah. But when every day is another, mm-hmm. oh my God, I can't believe this is happening to my country. Yeah. And I can't believe this is happening in my country. Yeah. To have, it doesn't mean that the escapism has to be light and airy mm-hmm. and without um, issue or humanity or in it. Yeah. But to find that balance where you, you can still go to the theater and get that charge of the possibility of changing the world. Yeah. I think that's something that I'm very hopeful to see more and more of. Mm-hmm. Do you like, well, and I guess to like act as a counterpoint... Would you also say like I don't know if I I don't know if I see a resistance to theater as escapism, but I do wonder, and I really don't know because I haven't done any sort of like audience massive sort of like audience study or like survey. Mm-hmm. Is like, are people exhausted by plays that feel too political or too in response? And mm-hmm. is there, and I think about this all the time and how we like talk about our marketing language and how we talk about plays are like are people so exhausted of living in this reality that like having a play that is framed in any way as responsive to the election, right. is that actually like a turnoff or is that actually going to like encourage people not to come because they just don't want to live in that like world anymore? Right. Or do they want to engage with it and like think about it critically? I really don't know. I don't know that there's one answer. No, I don't <laughs> at all. I, no. I think the answer is yes. Yeah. yeah. But for different reasons. Yeah. Like some people are going to be turned off on it and avoid those plays. Um, and other people are going to be really hungry for it and yeah. seek them out. And I think it's just a matter of, I mean, obviously, you know this, like yeah. knowing your audience and. Yeah. Which is like. And at the same time, giving them something that stretches them because mm-hmm. you don't want to just program what they want. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, so I guess like in thinking, like when I looked at that, you sent us a spreadsheet mm-hmm. of like all of the shows and like, obviously I've been tracking like who's doing what. Um, but I think that there's, like, a couple of, like, interesting, interesting, I don't want to say, like, trends, but, like, um, interesting things to note about the upcoming season, Mm -hmm. um, that I actually think are more indicative about where we're going to be in 1920 than in what's going to happen in 1819, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Like, and I realize I'm pivoting a little bit, (laughs) but, um... (laughs) But this is making me think about this, about, no, like, good. you know, multi-year. Um, but, like, I think that we're on the cusp of this sea change in leadership. Oh, yeah. Um, that isn't really going to manifest itself until mm-hmm. the 1920 season. Yeah. Because you have Maria taking over at Woolley, but she did yeah. not program the upcoming season. You have whoever's taking over at Shakespeare. You have the new AD of Theater Alliance, because Colin just announced that he mm-hmm. was going yeah. to step down. And you're also going to have the new AD of Baltimore Center Stage. Right. And the associate artistic director, too. Yes. And Hannah's now going to Repertory of St. Louis, which is awesome. Um, So you have that. You also have two theaters that are doing massive renovations to their space. Mm -hmm. And that has impacted the way that they're doing programming. Because you have Roundhouse, who's undergoing a massive renovation, and they will be programming half their season in the Landsberg. And so... Yes. Uh, I know that. No, they did. But you know what? And like to their and like to their credit, I think that their season is really responsive to the space that it's going to be in because that's where they're doing a Doll's House Part Two, and that's where oh, they're right. doing Oslo yeah. and like plays that feel okay. a little bit more grand and a little bit yeah. more splashier. Yes. Um, and then you also have Theater J, who is programming in various 
locations all around the city. They're going to be at like Gala Hispanica mm-hmm. and the Kennedy Center and the arena um, before they move into their space. So it like in some ways it feels like like an interesting. I don't, I don't know. Like I think that that has implications on people's oh, programming, sure. right? Yeah. Um, and in some ways, it makes me. I'm just like very curious to see what 1920 looks like, mm-hmm. um, because I think, and I don't know if you would agree with this, but I guess like when you said that, like knowing your audience and knowing your mission, I feel like when I came here, like because I've been here for seven years now, I feel like when I first came here and I would like read a play, I knew exactly what theater it would end up at. Like I, yes. you know, and I felt like I could say like, oh, that's a Wooly play, that's an arena play, that's a studio play. Mm. But I think that those boundaries are getting blurred, and I think it's a good thing. And I think that there's less of a monopoly on writers. Like you know, it's like we like for example, like Studio did two Annie Baker plays, but now Signature has done two Annie Baker plays. Mm-hmm. Um, or like there's no sort of like hold on like certain writers. And I and I think now. You know, like, I, I just think that it's, like, where a play is going to end up is shifting. And I think it's yep. going to shift even more now that, like, we have these, like, people replacing either founders or longtime artistic directors that are just going to shake up exactly what the artistic mean, what the artistic missions of those theaters are. Um, which Absolutely. I think is good for the landscape and I think good for the, like, Absolutely. ecosystem of DC theater. And also how they're in response and conversation with their audiences and totally. the community at large. Not just the DC theater community, but the overall DC theater DC community. Yeah. And the pocket neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, everything's mm-hmm. gonna change. It'll yeah. be very exciting. It's about time, I think. It yeah. does feel It like was that. starting to feel a little, like you said, how you could predict mm-hmm. what play was gonna end up at what theater, or what yeah. theaters were gonna compete over a particular play or yeah. a particular playwright, and you're like, and now it is so much more of a little a little bit of a lottery it is but it's also so competitive yeah like the arms race for rights for plays starts like earlier and earlier every year and it's always interesting to me when we have like an agent or a rights house like contact us and be like oh we're getting interest in this play from somebody else i'm like i wonder who it is you know (laughs) and sometimes i'm like i used to be able to guess and now i have no idea right um but you know in one of the questions that you sent beforehand you were like what are some plays that you that you don't see in this upcoming season that you wish you could see. And I think part of that is I'm like, well, I have a list of like 20 things I want to do, but I don't want to say what they are. <laughs> like, I don't want somebody to like sweep them out from under me. Um, you know, and like, and uh, just because we're also like in DC and you know this from your literary management days, it's like the process of like how a play gets to DC, like can take, can take a long time just because we're a regional right. market. Um, so there can be and something so close to New York and so yeah. close to New York, um, you know, that like, I think we're within that like 200 mile or whatever right. it is range. Right. Um, and it's also, you know, as somebody, I read a lot of international work too. So I'll read like a play that's like really interesting from London. I'm like, well, we'll get it in like three years. Cause like, that's how that works. <laughs> it's like something is not, you know, like it's going to go to New York and then it'll come to us. Um, right. So it is interesting. Like you have to think in not just like a like one year. Like oh, I read this thing. This is great. Let's program it. It's like you're constantly playing like a long game. <laughs> hey, so awkward segue, but not as awkward as it was live. Now we're going to talk about Linda's work. It, it's purely professional information. <laughs> How much lead time are you usually given as part of the project? Like when are you on board? When am I like, like hired? Yes. In the, in the, in yeah. the process, um, I have been hired. <laughs> anywhere from three to four months in advance Mm -hmm. to like two weeks in advance Mm -hmm. 
Um, there's also, I mean, and at a large chunk of the time when you're hired that's that close to something starting, um, it's, I wouldn't say that it's because the theater doesn't have their planning together. It's usually because someone drops out because mm, something right. else comes along that takes them away. Because yep. um, I, I can't speak to, obviously, all the cities across the country, <laughs> mm-hmm. but from my experience in both San Francisco and Seattle before moving here, DC announces its seasons and lines up its artists obscenely early. Yeah. And really like it, auditions and contracting early. happens so far ahead. So the planning uh, is, yeah. like you were saying, it is a multi-season plan. Yeah. You're not just looking at one season. And I would say that like so much of that has to do with the economics of casting local actors. Mm. Um, and I say this because studio, we normally announce in like April, mm-hmm. and that is incredibly late for right. DC standards. Because um, most people, I would say like Woolly and Arena are usually the first and they announce end of January, beginning of February. And they're also usually announcing casting at the same time. Yep. Um, in part because Woolly has a company. But that means that by the time studio is casting, a lot of the local talent is already booked up mm-hmm. for the whole year. Um, so it is interesting. And that means that as a theater, we have a hybrid. We sort of, I would say we're like half local, half New York, Chicago, someplace else. Um, but for companies that need to be 100% local, that is part of the necessity of announcing so early. Right. And it gets m- more, it, I, you feel the pressure more and more every year. Right. Very true. Um, and the same it, thing with designers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it, all, it almost comes to a place of, I don't necessarily want to say panic, but that, <laughs> yeah, that, no. that rush of like, dotting all the I's and crossing mm-hmm. all the T's and sometimes it's just for me like because before I was in literary management I was in arts marketing and sometimes uh, for me mm-hmm. it's just like just announce yeah yeah right, like yeah. I don't care if there is TBA all <laughs> over the place just announce so that you have something to talk about with your community yeah because yeah. I think for me that's always that's always the big part of like what I'm looking at both when I was in an institution and now as a freelancer, it's always about what kind of conversation does the show want to have with the community? Mm-hmm. And what do we as the theater artists engage with that we want to yeah. bring forth between the stage and the audience? Mm-hmm. And then hopefully inspire the audience to take that conversation out into the world yes. and create that ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is it is very exciting in the freelance world. Um, I would definitely say it's very exciting. Like when I first when I first uh, dipped my toe in that water, I just I had no clue at all what to do, yeah. how to approach people, yeah. people that I'd known for five six years, and I was like, okay, how do I talk to you again? Because yeah. <laughs> um, it suddenly feels like. Yes, you want the job, but you mm-hmm. don't want people to think, nor do you actually come to the place of, I'm only talking to you because of the job. <laughs> yes. yeah. But they get, from, from the company side, they get approached by so many people who want things from them, mm. that to have someone come along and just say, hey, I like what you're doing and I just want to play with you. And like we mm-hmm. can... Like we can talk about money later, we can talk about responsibilities later, but I'm just interested in the work you do and I want to be part of it somehow. 
what can I do? Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of takes the pressure off of that conversation and turns it into just artists who mm -hmm. have similar interests who want to talk about things. Yeah. And then you see where it goes. Yeah. <laughs> I keep trying to keep circling around Taffy Punk. Like mm -hmm. my schedule and no one's schedule it there works out so that we can just sit down and chat. But I would love to do that as well, which I believe you're yes. directing. Right? directing. Yes. So, yeah. Which is one of those things where um, a director gets a part in a play because they're also an actor and <laughs> you've been hanging around with the company for a while and just assisting directing and mm -hmm. dramaturging and helping however you can and they're like hey do you want to and you're, before the sentence even finishes <laughs> yes. you just say yes because they're that kind of company yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah and then the next part of the conversation is what's the play yeah. <laughs> um yeah, and uh, but they are they are just a joy to to play with. Yeah, uh, but but because of that, the uh, we we should circle back to that for sure. Because, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but because it's all about each individual choice by each individual marketing department, there's no standardized presentation of the information related to mm -hmm. the season. Yeah. So where on the website it is. Uh, what information True. is presented? Mm -hmm. One of the things you talk about hiring designers. What's really frustrating is that information is not public for a very long time. Yeah. In that, well, it might be public in the sense that it's common knowledge. Um, sometimes it's not. Obviously, that is negotiations and mm -hmm. all of that. Uh, I've been I've been on the receiving end of that too, so I totally understand <laughs> all yeah. of the technicalities there. But even when it's known by the theater, it doesn't get to be known outside the theater in a way that, like my impression about Fun Home which Baltimore Center Stage is doing, mm -hmm. um, and I'll be programming the projections for, like, that's awesome. Who's the designer? <laughs> and they have an idea, but they probably haven't signed that contract yet, because okay. yeah. that's not until January. Mm -hmm. And, but my my impression of, well, I don't, I don't, Fun Home's a wrong example, because my impression of Fun Home is going to be, that's going to be awesome to work on Fun Home. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I believe Hannah's is directing that is that right? I don't know. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, so, but my opinion of a show can very widely depend, like, especially when you're talking about one of the classics, like, mm -hmm. what are we doing to reimagine this? I will know, mm -hmm. based on who you've hired to design it, what, yeah. what, roughly, what right. you're trying to do with that. So, <laughs> like, this, the, the spreadsheet will definitely be part of the show notes, and it will be up there, yeah. so everybody can, it'll be a Google Doc that people can add to it as well, so that it is not, like, a definitive anything, it's this community thing, mm -hmm. so that we can all, like, Yeah, and I mean... It. Yeah. I do think that like a lot of this information lives on Theater Washington, but like you said, it's not like there's it's a so point where that. exactly it's yes. not like there's a point where all of that information gets released. Yeah. And I will just say also today, having heard that like you know one of our designers is dropping for something too, I think that there is like a just because of like a scheduling conflict or they get another job somewhere. Yes. Um, you know that I think with theaters, it's like we don't. I know at Studio we don't do anything until we send out that show's press release. Right. Um, like, we try with the season announcement to announce as many, like, it's usually just, like, director playwrights and if there's, like, an actor attached yeah. to it. Mm -hmm. But um, for us, it's ever-shifting. Like, I mean, if I forget the show that the first show of our season is season, season, that's the firm grasp of the English language. Um, but, so that's the first show of our season and it starts rehearsals on Tuesday and we didn't have a finalized cast until a week and a half ago. Wow. Yeah. Um, 
you know, so it's just, it just mm-hmm. makes more sense to just wait until you have the whole team in place. But yeah, it's difficult. That's the whole yeah. There is also, as far as like the, the rollout of the information, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just between season announcement and season starting, yeah. mm-hmm. you have yeah. a good chunk of time yes. that you need to fill with things to talk about. Exactly. <laughs> so to be able to like announce the shows and then a little bit later, like, oh, here's some casting information. Mm-hmm. Here's some designer information. And let's do, like, an interview with the artist. Yeah. And, I mean, also, like, in terms of, like, the life cycle of an institution, it's like you're not just announcing artistic content. It's like you have a gala to oh, yeah. to sort of publicize. Right. You have benefits. You have marketing events. You have, like, other things that are also competing for your attention. Yeah. Um so that also like affects how we roll out information because mm-hmm. you also just don't want to deluge people, and you, but you don't want things to get lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. Like right now, we're trying to figure out how we're grouping together like our announcement of our fifth show with like some commissions, which like it's like how do we like bundle things together so that the information will have an impact instead of just like setting it out piecemeal right. and yeah. rolling it out piecemeal and trying to like actually craft a story around something, um, which is interesting and actually like. I don't know, was not a part of my previous literary management. <laughs> it was like, you know, thinking about thinking about messaging and thinking about right. marketing in that way. But. but I think it's I think it's wonderful that studio does that it's nice. In that way, because there's so many there's so there's so many theaters where the artistic and the administrative, for lack of a better way of defining yeah. them, is separate. Mm-hmm. And the messaging of a show if it's not in line with what the artistic vision of the show mm-hmm. is, you get in so much trouble with both it's the artists yeah. and your audience, yes, and they're absolutely. like, this is not what I signed on for. Yes. Yeah. So to be so able true. to have that uh, communication and to have that mm-hmm. collaboration between those departments, yeah. um, it helps that you all sit so close together. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> all 40 of us in one room. <laughs> Dude, one, of the, one of my grand ambitions for the show, mm-hmm. and uh, and the website and building around the show and all of that stuff is that I and one of the things I really like about us being able to talk about the season as a whole which mm-hmm. we'll get to some specifics here in, uh, yeah. in a moment um, is that it, it feels unfair to every theater that every theater has to try to have this sense of engagement and feels like it goes into it doesn't necessarily get taken up into anything more into more general into the atmosphere it's directed at the people who are already connected to it and who mm-hmm. know about it but there's but there's not it doesn't feel to me and as someone who exists in this community and is yeah. on twitter constantly and reads all the websites and tries to keep up with reviews it doesn't feel like that there's a take-up mechanism into this because we, we're not really embracing the word engagement or, or community yeah um like a post-show conversation is wonderful and uh, any community partnerships that you can create mm-hmm. around the show are wonderful, but the show ends and that partnership ends too, right. unless yeah. it's somehow incorporated into your education programs or something mm-hmm. like that, where it's an ongoing or the institution as a whole. Right. Um, yeah. Studio has like a series of like neighborhood partners that like sometimes we pair specifically on shows, but they're more like holistically worked into like the work that we do with community engagement and development and education. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically in our educational efforts I but that is all but that's also but then I don't know sometimes I do think that having like show specific partnerships is necessary I think you know we did tribes at studio a couple years ago and we could not have done that without Gallaudet University Mm -hmm. Um, without the resources and without the like expertise of that entire community Um, 
Yeah, I think it's interesting, this idea of like the nuance between audience engagement and community engagement. And I think that it's interesting, like, and again, this is again, like the sprawl of like responsibilities for an artistic staff is that like, I would love for audience engagement to be a more core component of my job, but I don't have the bandwidth or the time to do it. And I also think that if you're going to do it, it's not just, because I think like people hear audience engagement and they just think post-show conversations. And I don't think that that's necessarily the answer because I think that in order to like effectively engage an audience, you have to provide like multiple pathways for understanding. Um, But that requires resources and staff time and partnerships and like it, it just requires like an effort and you have to put the actual resources in and not just make it right. part of s- someone another else's o- someone else's job yeah um so i don't know i think about that a lot and i think that i try to figure out okay well how do we work within the limitations that we have mm-hmm. um and you know it's a question that like we talk a lot at studio about like people talk about like wraparound programming and I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? <laughs> you know? And I mean, cause it's not just like, I don't want to take the time to coordinate a panel discussion, but for me it's like, okay, well, if I'm going to coordinate a panel discussion on this, like who's, who's it for? Yeah. Right. Um, yes. Is it for people that just sort of show up that day? Are we actually trying to bring in a certain audience and build something around that? Like, it's like, I try to come at it from a way that tries to be a little bit more thoughtful because it's a lot of work. And if you're going to yep. do it, you want to make sure that it has an impact on the right people. Right. You know? Um, because there's nothing worse than like a panel discussion with like nobody in the audience who cares. Yes, <laughs> you know? um, and then your speakers never talk to you again. No, yeah. and yeah. also like facilitating dialogue is a skill, yes. <laughs> and moderating conversations is a skill. It is not something that like you know, and I would say that it's not one of my best skills. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, I think that if you're gonna effectively do it, you need to have like a I've seen like disastrous post-show yeah. conversations, particularly in around, and this isn't even about like dealing with new work, but the worst ones I've seen have involved artists, like have involved like somebody not protecting mm-hmm. an artist oh, in yeah. process. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, there, and like, sometimes I think that that is like very useful feedback for like writers and directors and actors, but also like you, you need to like whoever is moderating that just needs to approach it with like a level of thoughtfulness and skill and rigor right. and, I don't know. I don't always think that happens. Yeah. And I just, yeah, sorry. I think there <laughs> could also, the more the more new plays that are being produced both here in D.C. and around the country by theaters large and small, I yeah. think our audiences would benefit by some sort of, I don't necessarily want to say class, but some sort of instruction. Like everybody on, just reads Liz Lerman's like, critical response. Etiquette <laughs> yeah. about how to talk about new plays with yeah the artists who are doing them yeah yes. I mean like the thing that I always do whenever I've never had to like moderate and it's interesting because I've never had to moderate a conversation with an audience that wasn't instructed because most of my experience mm-hmm. has been like moderating conversations with audiences in new play labs where everyone has like mm-hmm. a certain understanding and a certain artistic vocabulary and like understands like the goals of what the time is um but some of the most effective ones I've seen have been when you just have to like set rules with the playwright, let people know what the rules are, yeah, yeah. Um, and set the terms for the conversation, and then and you, that's really yeah. wonderful because it also gives you the moderator an easy out when totally. someone goes away from those rules. You can say, you know, that's a great comment, but that's not what our discussion is totally. about right now. Circle yeah. back to what you do want or yeah. what you and the artist have agreed on yeah. talking about. I've and asked, as soon as you tell an audience that like the artist wants mm-hmm. to focus in on this, they're like, oh. 
<laughs> yes, yeah. please, let me help you. We, st- we started a discussion series at Studio a couple years ago that I've actually, like, at first I was just like, oh, God, this is going to be annoying. But it's actually, like, been really, it's been really, like, rewarding for me. Um, we have a conversation, because we do post-show conversations with actors, and then we do post-show conversations that are, like, if there's, like, some sort of big theme or, like, additional context yeah. with, like, you know, experts. But then we started this discussion series called Postscript, which is usually just the dramaturg in a room with the audience right after. And it's just a chance for them to talk amongst themselves. Oh, and okay, yeah. I find that, and, like, part of this is, like, I just think that people who see plays at studio approach it with, like, a certain curiosity, mm-hmm. and they're, like, usually super smart. Um, and it's like sometimes it's like, oh, you need to process something and you're not quite sure how to say it. And you want to mm-hmm. know if somebody else had that experience of it. And here you can have that. And I'm a neutral person that can just be like, can just sort of like extract the like questions or the understanding that you have. Um, and that's actually been like something that's been very interesting for us. And I wish that like, and I, it only lasts 15 minutes. Right. Um, and then people can go about their lives. Um, but it's something, but it's like a deviation form. We took it, I think from... Madeline Oldham at Berkeley Rep. I think that's mm. something that they do there. Um, I don't know. I'm also like so eager to get post show discussions out of the theater. Yes, like, absolutely. Out yeah. of the th- I think that also like really hinders conversation. Because um, you're the- still in that place. Because you're still in division. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're still in that space. Um, yeah. That's hard for us at studio because we don't really have lobbies mm-hmm. <laughs> to go to. It's like our biggest gathering yeah. spaces are theaters. Um, but, you know, I just wish that everybody could just go across the street and talk about things, but right. you know, that doesn't yeah. happen. Um, or that's not always a, a possibility, mm-hmm. given the limits of your architecture. True. Um, how did I get on the, like, uh, audience engagement rant? Uh, <laughs> you did it. I did it. I you did it somehow. I, I am definitely <laughs> responsible for that particular segue. I and would say, I, I do want to touch just on one thing that you said as far as, yeah. like, community engagement goes and how it's it needs to be a... Um, from within the institution it needs to be made a priority yeah. and not just added to someone's mm-hmm. plate mm-hmm. Um, and I just I could not agree with that more yeah. that we we are talking so well about engaging with our community and telling mm-hmm. stories that represent our community and for our community but we, we need to come out of our yeah. offices and actually go into the community to figure out what yeah. they want yeah, and talk yeah. to them on their, meet them on their ground. Yeah, and to also like identify what those barriers are to access, right? Um, and for entry, right? Um, and in creating spaces that I think feel welcoming, you know, there was that article I think, and it was like Time Out a couple, maybe like two months ago, that just like really infuriated me about like theater etiquette oh, and yeah. theater rules. <laughs> and I just really bristle about that because I yeah. think that's part of the reason why people don't feel welcome Was that in a space. Dominique Morris's No, but the, she also the, had like a very I love those. Yeah. So Dominique Morris has these in for her production of Pipeline last year, she included a program insert that was like the playwright's rules for engagement. And it spun out of an article that she wrote for American theater called Why I Almost Slapped a Fellow Theater Patron. <laughs> um <laughs> No better Which was so, and it, but it was so well written because it was. It's like, how dare you police the reactions right. of somebody else? Um, and people occupy spaces in different ways. And if we're actually going to be yeah. inclusive, we have to understand that people come into theater with their own experiences and their own, and like, and there's not like one way how to behave. Um, and so we included that in our program for Skeleton Crew as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that other theaters are doing it too. And it's just like these sort of like Ten Commandments about like, 
why don't you let everybody sort of experience this play in the way that you need and like right. they'll be respect be respectful of the actors on stage but like be respectful of your fellow audience members and if you want to um, laugh laugh if you want to go to church go to church right. exactly yeah. Yeah. exactly you know embrace the fact that you were in a briefly ephemeral communal in space <laughs> um yeah mm-hmm. that's great what is inspiring you? What is what is something that's shaping your thinking and about how you approach the plays that you're working on, or just the mm-hmm. world, like in processing the theater that you you do? Um, well, I would actually say one of the, one of the nice things about being freelance and no longer being involved in season planning or mm-hmm. reading. 600 plays. Is that you have time to read, like, books? Yes. <laughs> so the the bookshelf in the apartment and the closet that is full of books mocks me less in the last couple of years nice. because while I'm still staying up on reading plays for various festivals around the country, the, the enjoyment of it has come back as opposed to sitting down to read it as something that I need to analyze. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's been a combination of reading a couple plays and then grabbing a book off the shelf and going back and forth between biography and fiction and history and like psychology and just Mm -hmm. taking all of that in, which is definitely subliminally affecting how I'm reading plays, but it's not in the same and it's not in, in the same way as like when I was reading books about dramaturgy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now it's just like those books still come out and I still pick them up and still find them very interesting, but it's more I'm in the mood to read it as opposed to feeling like it's an assigned reading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. I know. I feel like anytime I try to read something that is not adjacent to my work, I just feel like deeply guilty right um because like, like no. your work is just piling up and piling yeah. up and piling up. I have a queue of like 50 plays I need to read right now I have and not just that but like a backlog of books that I need related to the four shows that I'm dramaturging this mm-hmm. year because I was telling Aaron beforehand so I'm dramaturging four plays this year which is like a pretty heavy slate for me I normally do three and like they're all so intellectually dense and they all mm-hmm. deal with topics of which I have no familiarity or expertise um, so it has been sort of like these crash courses in like familiarizing myself with topics. Um, I will say that like a book that I read recently that I really enjoyed was um, So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijoma oh, Aluo. Okay. Um, in part because two of the plays that I'm working about this year deal with race. One deals with toxic whiteness and affirmative action. And the other one deals with cultural appropriation. Um, and I just like, I cannot recommend that book enough. I think it should be requ- required mm-hmm. reading by like every white person. Um, Cause I just think she's like, I don't know. She's like straightforward and funny and the writing's so accessible. And she's able to like crystallize these like very highly charged topics in a way that just, I, I don't know, like it, 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 it's just like, oh, there's just like such clarity mm-hmm. to it. And I also know that it just must have, must have been such a bitch to read mm-hmm. and to like to have to decode all of these like horrifying subjects. But she also comes at it, she writes from a place of like, she, she starts each chapter with like a personal anecdote about her mm-hmm. experience. And I just think it's just like this book is like this great achievement in empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and empathy and understanding. 
and I've learned a lot and I've like made everybody I know like I've definitely like been like a one woman street team for this book um but it's been really helpful and it also you know sometimes like in the work of prepping for a season it's like you're so focused on the day-to-day tasks that like I find it very hard to give myself the space for like the necessary critical and deep thinking that is so at the Mm -hmm. core of what I do and Uh, For me, it's also like retraining myself to think it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to check six things off my to-do list, but I am going to spend three hours reading something that is going to inform my thinking eventually. Um, So giving myself the space to do that. And I actually find that for me, because I'm more of a visual learner, that like that's why it's really helpful for me to go to museums Mm -hmm. um, and to go to art museums. Mm -hmm. And also because I am not like as... I don't know. I think that there's such a freedom in like experiencing art because I don't feel this need to be like exquisitely articulate about my experience yeah. of something. Yeah. I feel like because I, I my like knowledge of art history is pretty basic, so it's like I can go and I can be like I like that, and I don't have to like engage with it anymore. I don't have to write a report on why I like it. I don't have to give like a report in a scouting meeting about why I like it. I can just be like that's great. I don't even have to like document my experience of it. I can just mm-hmm. go and have something, and I find like that's very something that feels like. That's deeply important to me to like be able to like reconnect with like art on like an individual level without thinking about it in like some sort of greater context and messaging. Can you talk about how the pieces make you feel and what they make you think about? Like, can I? Like, do I have the ability to do that? Yeah, yeah but it's like I like to go to go beyond. I like that, but not so far beyond that you're like yes, but like I don't a dramaturgical. Essay yeah, but I feel like I can be very unpolished about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is there something, because I'm wondering, like, one of the things that you were saying about wanting all of that information in your head before you have the critical discussion in a post-show, I was like, but why? Yeah. Why can't we just let the theater wash over us mm-hmm. and talk about what it makes us think about and how it makes us feel yeah. and not analyze it, and but maybe you- analyze it later? Yeah. yeah. That is something that I think about, though about like what is inform- what kind of information is necessary for a person going into this because I find that a lot of the writing that I do around plays has to serve people at all stages of their experience mm-hmm. with it. Right. Like for example, my program note, it's like somebody might read it before the show or they might read it at our mission or they might read it afterwards and it has to serve the person at right. each of those phases and that's such a hard magic trick to pull off yeah. in 500 words. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, it's also, you know, we've been thinking a lot about, you know, theaters send out, like, pre-performance reminders and post-performance reminders, and we were like, how can we, like, better utilize that to help, like... Set the tone. Set the tone, or, like, or especially when you're doing plays that are, like, you know, I'm thinking about Admissions, for example, by Josh Herman. Mm-hmm. It's like, what do we want people, what do we want white people seeing that play mm-hmm. to come out of and to be thinking about um, and to be asking themselves? And how can we help, like, guide that conversation without dictating it? I think right. it's the yeah. real is the real sort of um, the nuance between that. Right. I wonder if there's more that we can be doing. We have these beautiful spaces in DC. Like we have these beautiful theater spaces in DC. And I'm wondering if that hasn't actually backfired on us. And maybe, because now like the walls are so precious that we can't put anything on them. And the lobbies are so grand Mm -hmm. that we don't actually have the like kitty corners where you can just yeah. like get together and converse and I wonder if there's some way of like some of the stuff that you've been doing at studio as far as mm-hmm. like the environmental atmosphere going into the space yeah, yeah. Absolutely. that doesn't tell you what to think but it just changes you from 
I am going to see a play. Yeah. I'm going to sit there and put my hands in my lap and be polite. Yeah. To oh, I'm going into an experience. Yes. Yeah. And kind that's of like I think really that's a wonderful. Lot, yeah, I think that's a lot of the work that Wooly does with their connectivity. Exactly. As well. Yeah. Um, Baltimore Center Stage is exceptional. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I also think that again, that's going to be something that's interesting with all of these theaters renovating or moving into new spaces. Is like, how do you, what is what does theater as a public space mean? Yes. Um, and you know we're in a library right now, and I can think of like no better public institution than the library that like really serves as like an open commons. And I think all the time I was like, oh, how can theater emulate that? Right. You know, um, it's yeah. periods of time where it is free. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I know. It's like talking of access and entry. Uh, and yeah. It's just like no, it was even as theater workers couldn't afford to go to shows in town mm-hmm. if I didn't know people oh, yeah. who could get me tickets. The yeah. no, like the number one obstacle is yeah. that I can't afford it. Yeah. yeah. And then it gets into discussions of whether or not I see myself in the environment mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. I feel comfortable there or yeah. I can get to it whether or not it's accessible. Totally. But and then what are you seeing once you're there? Right. Yeah. The deciding you know, it's factor all linked. And it's not even just how do you get them into the theater because getting them in is just yeah. It's like how, it. it's how, are how you do make... you get them to come back? Yeah. How do you build a relationship yeah. with your audience? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's something I think about a lot. Um, <laughs> there has to be a way. I mean, yeah, yes. There just has to be a way yeah. to make it affordable and accessible yeah. and not go out of business. Yeah, well, and I also think some of that does go back to space. And I think that's a question of like, how do you get people in a space without having them, without having it being contingent on some sort of purchase? Mm-hmm. And how do you get yeah. people to see themselves in a space without having to plunk down a ridiculous amount of money? And I think that Signature Theater in New York does this really yeah. well mm-hmm. with their new, when they did their renovation, their new lobby that is just like open to whoever wants to. I go there right. and charge my phone all the time. Oh, right. You know, I, you know like, that is my place in Midtown to but go charge my phone. True. It's true. Um, and like going, going up there yeah. for a day and waiting for your friends to get out of work. And it's exactly. Or if you need to have an, or if you need to have an impromptu meeting. Right. Um, and I think that's something that I think about all the time. It's like, you know, there's so many artists in this town that don't have the space. Mm-hmm. Um, that don't like finding rehearsal space finding meeting space finding you know a place to work during a day that isn't you don't have to pay a $200 membership for the wing Um, you know like (laughs) or some place where you can go and it's not a matter of waiters constantly coming by and asking if they're going to order something more it's not not contingent on some sort of like capitalist exchange exactly Um, yeah there I think we just solved it yes (laughs) No, people make um, make that happen. Yeah. Can I actually, like, going back to, and again, wild lack of segue here. Um, <laughs> can I, like, in terms of, like, specifically talking about the next theater season, yeah. are there, like, the, projects that you're... This is, yes. Yeah. Are there, the very I, next thing. Back back on oh, okay. Oh, back okay. on topic. <laughs> um, I guess, Linda, I want to know. It's like, are there projects that you're specifically excited about? Yes. There are. What are they? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked because I made a list. I made a list too. Uh, oh, well, let's see if our list well, match at all. I'm very curious. Look at this. Okay, you go first. Um, well, I'm. I mean, I'm very excited to see what Maria, what kind of energy Maria brings into Wooly, mm-hmm. and to see yes. what that does just in general. Yeah. Um. I am I trying. What did I had? Um, Gloria is like 
I think I may have squealed like a little schoolgirl when that was announced. I remember reading that play and thinking that I'm like I just I must see it. Yeah. I must see it. Somehow it must come here and I must see it. I mean and I, here it is. I love Brandon Jacob Jenkins so much. I actually like I don't know, and I can think of like no better time for a story that's about the darkness of ambition and like who has the right to tell stories Mm -hmm. but also like how do we process and then package traumatic events right um and I also think that like I don't know it's just like that play starts in a certain place and goes somewhere else very quickly and just also like upends your sort of structural expectations for it in a way that I found rattling and thrilling yes um I don't know I'll follow Brandon Jacob Jenkins into the dark. Like I will see whatever Absolutely. that man wants to write or put on. Um, no, I'm very. I'm that is like one of yeah. my top choices to see next year. Um, and at your theater, you've already mentioned. Um, you've already, you've actually already mentioned the three that I'm most excited about. Yeah, which is I'm really excited <laughs> for Hillary's and for yeah. Terrence's, and I'm really excited for the Kings. Yeah, I think I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be interesting. Um, and because two of those plays are in Studio X, and then Queen of Basil is also uh, the Hillary play. It's also partly in Spanish. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, she did a, she was in the Bay Area Playwrights Festival mm-hmm. last summer with it. Yeah. And not being a Spanish speaker, I could not have enjoyed it more. Because I was yeah. watching it, and I was just like, I, I don't know what you're saying word mm-hmm. for word, but I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, and, and the fact that that can happen, yeah, and, and I, that can cross over it was so powerful. Yeah, we, there was a workshop production of it in Miami, and our literary director went to go see it, and she said that one of the things that was so interesting about the production, she's like, half the audience was native Spanish speakers, and she's like, so being part of that audience and hearing them respond to jokes earlier, mm-hmm. or like, she she was like, it made me, it made us really, it made me really think that like, oh, I really hope that we can create this in some way at studio. Right. Um, and I think it, it also does this wonderful flip of putting putting you as, like, if you're either the English as your first language or English mm-hmm. as your only language, putting you on the outside 100%. for months. Yes. Where it's yeah. just like... Yeah, because nothing is translated, nothing is subtitled. Yeah, you're not um, the insider this time. Yeah. And you have to sit there and go, wait, what is And happening? it's also very specific about the dialects that it's yeah. using and also very specific about the ethnicities and the immigration status of all three of the characters. Um, no, she's great. She also wrote all of my favorite episodes of The Americans, which I used to have Sorry, so it's even more like supporting of Hillary Bettis. <laughs> Um, to bounce yeah. over to Baltimore a little bit, mm-hmm. I am really happy to see Lauren Yee. I'm really happy oh, to see yeah. Lauren Yee more and more produced around the country. Um, yeah. But see, seeing the King of the Yees, I think it's going to be definitely worth my train trip out to Baltimore. <laughs> I have to say, like, Baltimore Center Stage's season, you know, when you consider that, like, Kwame was only there for half the year, yeah. and, like, the programming of that season fell very heavily on Hannah Sharif and Gavin Witt and my friend Rebecca Adelsheim, who was there for a year. Yes. Like, I think it's a really... Yeah, she's going to Yale now. What? She's very fancy. Yeah, she's oh, I know. Um, but, uh... You know, I, I think that, like, I think they have a tremendous season, mm-hmm. center yeah. stage. I, yeah. um, you know, between that, I'm real the Marcus Gardley play, yeah. mm-hmm. um, the Christina Anderson. Yes. You know, I, I think that when they announced their season, I was like, well done. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. I would see all those. Yeah. Um, and I'll just mention two more. Mm-hmm. Um, 
actually three more, sorry, um, to dip away from the quote-unquote houses for a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, Theater Alliance is mm-hmm. coming out with um, Dominique Morisot's play, directed mm-hmm. by Raymond. Blood at the Root. I'm mm-hmm. really excited to see that. She, speaking of a playwright who you would follow into the darkness, and yeah. she'll, like, she could write anything, and I will read it, and I will cry and laugh and love it. Um, and I'm, I love Raymond as a director, so I'm excited to see what he's going to do with it. And I just think in terms of, like, language, <laughs> there is nobody who's, like, balances that sort of, like, poetic but also, like, pulsating quality to it. It's just, like, I, I don't know. I don't I, know. I find, it, I find the language of her play so thrilling, but also, having worked on a play, I also know how deeply challenging it is for actors mm-hmm. because there is such a specific rhythm to it. I often, when I try to explain why I like her writing so much, I'll often try and equate it to jazz music. Mm-hmm. To, like, really strong percent. jazz music. Yeah. And the way there is a structure to it, but there's also that freedom to mm-hmm. riff and explore in it. Yeah. And but there's a musicality just to the it. power of it. Because yeah. I I notice when I read her scripts, I find myself like walking around my apartment mm-hmm. and not being able to just sit down and read it. And so by the end of a script, just my living room is littered with papers. <laughs> And then I spend the next hour trying to put it back in order, <laughs> um, but it's it's just it's one of the, it's one of the few writers who really has that effect mm-hmm. on me. So I'm I'm very excited for that. Um, and uh, Rorschach is doing yeah, Steve Yoki's Reykjavik, which I love, 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 and I'm so excited to see that. Um, and then to come. Back to the houses, because that's what we initially were going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really excited for pretty much Roundhouse's entire season. I was fascinated. Yeah, like season. not just to see what it's going to be like. They might go for to broke. have them bounce like, around, but to have them do what they're doing while they're bouncing around. Yeah. But I also think that it's so strategic and smart yes. on their part to like, you know, while they're under construction to like because they are located in Bethesda, to like go get that downtown audience mm-hmm. and do big, splashy, epic plays and right. then be like, oh, and now come see our like excellent new building. Right. And I also, you know, they are also launching a commission series where they're commissioning 30 plays by women and writers of color. Wow. And I think that you're going to see... I, I'll be very interested to sort of like see their new... Out, right. Would be work output over mm-hmm. the next two years. Right. Because um, that, you know... Commissions take time to start delivering returns, you know, and that, that is a that is a very ambitious. Um, and I don't know what their if there's like an age or not an age if there's like a time limit set for to like turn when around. yeah to turn around yeah. and when and when they're all being issued. Like I don't think it's like a OSF thirty plays in ten years kind right. of thing. But um, but I'm not sure. But I was just like, wow, right. like no, I think I'm really excited in the Roundhouse season. I'm really looking forward to Small Mouth Sounds um, yes. by Besswell, which is a play I read several years ago and like I'm is very like excited to see Timothy Douglas on stage. Yeah. As opposed to as a director. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm really excited to see him as a director too, because he's doing Gem in the Ocean. Yeah. So we'll get to see a little bit of both sides yeah. of him. Because I always like watching him in a rehearsal room, mm-hmm. you just have that feeling where you're like, of course you're an actor too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I've never actually yeah. seen him Well and especially in this play too, because it unfolds at like this silent retreat right. and it's primarily told through body language and I just 
I don't know. I've read a lot of Bess's plays, and I just think this one taps into like humor and pathos and aching and awkwardness. You know, <laughs> all of my favorite things in the theater. <laughs> uh, so no, I'm very, I'm very interested in that one. That's my nutshell. That's yours. I had like we had we had some overlap, but um, in terms Shot. of Roundhouse, I know in terms of Roundhouse season, I'm also very interested to see Holly Twyford in Adult House mm-hmm. Part Two. I think mm-hmm. she's gonna crush it. I think that is like excellent casting on their part. Absolutely. Um, at Woolly, I'm also very interested to see Black Spy Aziza Barnes. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when the agent like sent it to us a couple years ago. She was like, it's like girls, but with queer black millennials, and that is like totally spot on. But um, I also, but I also think it's got like a certain like depth of character and stakes meet like debauchery mm-hmm. and like some of the sort of like you know how relationships slowly accrue over time of a television show. I think that it works on stage, um, and I'm very excited to see that. Um, also at Theater Alliance, I'm really um, interested in Lady Dane's piece. Um, yes. Dane did wig out at Studio Theater, and I have a deep well of affection mm-hmm. for them. Uh, and I've also, but I've never seen their solo work, so I'm thrilled for that. Um, or her solo work, sorry. Um, and uh, in the world of dramaturgs, um, Hannah Hessel Ratner with The Welders mm-hmm. and her Paracles project. I just think it's so great because it's something I think all the time about, like, what does it mean for a dramaturg to be a generative artist? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm really really excited to see what that looks like for her and to also hear her talk more about her process. Right. Um, so make sure you ask her a lot. <laughs> yeah, and lots and lots about that. One hundred percent. And obviously everything at Studio Theater, I'm deeply excited about. <laughs> I'm really curious to see what happens with Pram Kicker at Tappy Punk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the show that you're directing. Yeah. I when does that happen? Uh, we go into rehearsals next week. Oh my god. Wow. <laughs> August sixteenth is when we start rehearsals um, and then we perform it's just a brief in and out like two week run in mm-hmm. mid to late September wow yep. that's a hard thing and like I don't know it, it's like and I, I wonder if it's like in terms of like seeing theater how this is for you now that you're freelance but I feel like because I'm so entrenched in one place it's like I will see shows at studio you know 14 times because I'm dramaturging them right. but then it's very hard for me to then go out and like to see other things Um, especially with a schedule that I have this year Mm. so I think it's just going to be a matter of like actually prioritizing them it's going to be it's going to be hard it's true it's true it's definitely hard it's definitely easier yeah Um, having (laughs) it's definitely easier being like in the quote unquote real world and Mm -hmm. having like that survival job where you go in at nine and you leave at five and you don't take it home with you and no one what's that like and no one emails you over the weekend, and you're like, I can do anything or nothing. And then all of a sudden you think, I'll go see a play. <laughs> oh my God. And then you just start seeing more, and it becomes your new addiction. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that's been really wonderful is to have the freedom to see it wherever it is. Mm-hmm. And... Um, my opinion is my opinion. I am yeah. not at all... No one can misinterpret that I am speaking yeah. on the behalf of an institution. It is just how I feel and how I react to it. That's very true. Sometimes I feel like my opinion... I don't want it to seem like it comes with conditions or with promises because right. of the theater that I work for. Right. Um, because my taste is my own. And while my taste, like, actually, like, thankfully, does align with the institution that I work at... Um, 
you know, it, it's just sometimes I feel like it comes with a certain weight that I understand the responsibility of and I try to be mindful of that. Yeah. I know this is Sophie's choice. Yeah. But is there a theater nationally outside of DC oh, that you look at and say, yes, please, I'd like some more? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, because part of my job is to like know what the hell everybody else is doing nationally <laughs> and to stay up to date on that. I mean, there are certain theaters that I'm always, and this is just because I can't quite remember the specifics of what everybody's doing right now without like looking at my comprehensive paperwork. But there are certain theaters around the country that like I always wait for their season announcements mm-hmm. um, and around the world, really. <laughs> uh, the Royal Court is one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think Playwrights Horizons is one. I think there's like a whole merit of the of theaters in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I always am, you know, oh man, that's so hard. Um, I want to think about that. Hold okay. on a second. <laughs> <laughs> Is I that know. a question that you had an answer for? Yeah, do you have an answer? Like, who do you? Um, I, I don't have an answer to it because I, I don't have one in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, my my heart is always drawn back to what's happening in Seattle, so mm. I'm always mm. interested to see what's going on there um, and who of my friends are working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Chicago as well. Yeah. Both the large and the small. Yeah. The storefronts which is really really wonderful, mm-hmm. and I I applaud how vocal that community is being this mm-hmm. past year to two to three years. Yeah. Um, and I think setting an example for enough is enough, mm-hmm. uh, which I think we can all take a lesson from. Um, I adore Club Thumb up in New York. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I in, the world of, yeah in the world of Chicago, I think Victory Gardens um, is a theater, like especially under Che Yu's leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, that like their programming has dramatically shifted from what they were previously under his tenure. Um, I think of like the you know I, I think the Goodman like part of it is like the Goodman has just built this like roster of new plays right. and like work that feeds the new stages festival that then gets on the main stage. Yeah. Like they have this like extensive like farm system, you know. <laughs> um, and I think the work is great. Uh, and then. I mean, obviously, Steppenwolf is always super interesting Um, in terms of the smaller theaters. I love what Steep does. I always watch Jackalope. Um, I also just like saying Jackalope. Yeah. Rivendell has a commitment to female playwrights and female artists on their Mm -hmm. stage, which is always... I just basically go... I hope there will come a time when it doesn't have to be a company's mission. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll just be like, we just do plays. We just do plays. They happen to be majorly. <laughs> but, yeah. but. I do feel like a certain investment in theater communities that I used to live in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very interesting, though, because, I mean, and, you know, it's like I previously was in Houston. I was previously in Pittsburgh. And they don't have the kind of ecosystem of theaters that D.C. has. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is interesting. And I think I'm going to be the alley is one of those theaters that I'm very curious to see how they sort of weather their mm-hmm. artistic 
sea change. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like, they have a commitment to new work that I think is, like, I think yeah. Liz Frankel is doing great work things Absolutely. there. Um, and I think that's already, like, really changed the type of work that cert- it's radically different from when I was there. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think they're doing a good job of audience education as well. Um, so I'm always curious to see what happens there. And Pittsburgh, like, I think City Theater, I worked there, and that's a theater that, like, is also ha- now has Mark Masterson coming back, um, their founding artistic director. Um, but they also, like, pro- they have very intimate spaces, like studio, mm-hmm. and I think that they program them really well. Um, and they also have, like, a interesting staff. I think they have a staff making some, like, really interesting artistic choices. Nice. Um, I'm sure that there's others. Of course there are. There are like it's millions. a big country. There's a lot of it is, and I also like you know I follow so many new work festivals too. Yeah. So there's also like you know it's like I'm always interested to see what like playwrights, Pacific playwrights, right. and new stages, and Humana, and all of like the sort of smaller ones like the Bay Area, um, Bay Area Playwrights Festival, all the summer ones, mm-hmm. the O'Neill, Williamstown, all of that. Right. You know. Um, yeah. I don't know. I follow everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good question, though. Like, I have a couple. And then I close up shop. Yeah. <laughs> it's always interesting to see, too, like, the plays that get widely produced on a regional scale. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there's always that, like, one play, one or two plays that you're just, that, like, everybody kind of does. Yeah. You know? Um, this year, I, I, one of them is definitely cried out. Um... But it's also interesting because, like, I remember last year there was, like, the grand network of skeleton crew dramaturgs yeah. <laughs> who were just, like, I feel like I was constantly emailing with people about, like, the prices of sheet metal. They're like, what did you find? Um, you know, and so that's kind of great, too, because it just, I love that when it leads to connections with other theaters and other people yes. doing the same work and, you know, um, I don't know. Oh, oh. This is what I'm thinking of. Sorry. You know, the theater that I'm... Another theater that I'm super interested to see what happens because I think what is so exciting that's happening there is at ACT in San Francisco mm. with Pam McKinnon. Pam McKinnon. And then they just hired Joy Meads, dramaturg and, like, thinker and excellent all-around human to be their director right. of dramaturgy and new work. And they hired Jen Bilstein to be the managing director. Oh, they did? They did. Oh. And it's like... So I just, like... Yeah. It just looks like it. it I, it's so exciting. I cannot I wait agree. to see. Absolutely. You know, I really liked the season that Pam programmed, and I'm just, you know, can't wait to see what else they do. Yep. Yeah. It's not. I. I mean, I think it's going to be really interesting with like all of these. You know, we're still in like this wave of artistic leadership transition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to see who takes over a lot of these theaters. Um, so again, 1920 movies. <laughs> <laughs> Very exciting. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why we're doing the long game here by starting now <laughs> so you'll be expecting our voices at the beginning of that season excellent have this conversation again excellent I'm not in the prediction game I learned too much from listening to like 2016 podcasts um, so no predictions here about the next season <laughs> there will still be theater there will still be theater it's that's right. I can prediction. guarantee that yeah. I mean here's <laughs> hoping <laughs> it might look very different but it'll still be here yeah And that's it, folks. We're back. We're back. 
Thank you so much for listening. I am Aaron Teachman. This is Exit the Stage Tour. Thank you to Linda and to Lauren for their time and their insight. It is so much appreciated. Go out and see plays and support your local libraries. Check out the Google Doc. That's at dcpcreativellc.com. That's at mxdmedia.co, mixedmedia.co. See you around. <laughs>